Welcome to Paytech Talk, the podcast about payments. Today's guest is Paolo Cironi, Global Research Leader, Banking and Financial Markets at IBM. Enjoy the show. Hi, Paolo. Welcome to Paytech Talk, where we talk about all things, of course, payments. But today, we're going to have a special banking renaissance edition with you. So just give a little introduction for all the people who may not know you and what you do. Let me start first from my role in IBM. Right. I am the global research leader in banking and financial markets for IBM, the Institute for Business Values, a very long title. In essence, I coordinate the business research for IBM to see how businesses, in particular mm-hmm. banks and financial market institutions, can be transformed with technology. And uh, on top of that, on the side together, I'm also author of uh, literature. I've been very vocal and active uh, in the last uh, 10 years within the fintech community. And the opportunity at the Banking Renaissance uh, in Amsterdam has been to present uh, my latest Amazon banking book bestseller, Banks and Fintech on Platform Economies. Okay, well, that's actually a great segue into my first question. So what was your presentation slash book about at Banking Renaissance? <laughs> so uh, th- this book is, uh, is my fifth, uh, actually and it's part of an intense uh, um, effort for research uh, Mm -hmm. to understand effectively which are the prevailing uh, business model uh, strategies uh, that will define the future of financial services. Uh, Like I remember a a, a speech of Mario Draghi in 2019 when he was still uh, chairman of the European Central Bank. Two weeks before leaving office, Mm -hmm. a journalist asked him if negative interest rates would create the next collapse of the financial system. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, what he said is that I know the banks uh, would love positive rates, uh, Mm -hmm. unquestionably, but uh, invited everyone to consider the complexities of the bank business model, in particular in Europe, but the same around the world, um, which is very dependent on very complex uh, macroeconomic conditions. Yes, uh, absolutely. And um, now high cost of capitals and costing combinations are very high in general. And so what he said is that essentially, this macroeconomic uncertainty we remain, even today, with growing interest rates, we have very mm-hmm. high inflation, we may have a recession in Europe and other parts of the world. So it's not a return to the past. So he said banks have to adjust the business model to the okay. digitalization of financial services. Now, when central bankers talk, we also have to pay attention. Every words matter. So he didn't say banks have to digitize okay. existing business models. So it's like a lift and shift of what they do. Right. You just plug digital around that, that's it. No, he said they have to adjust the business model to the digitalization of financial services. So in essence, in order to be rewarded by the investments uh, and the entrepreneurship mm-hmm. to use a digital technology, you also need to, to be uh, willing to modify the business models mm-hmm. so that uh, you can get the benefit that technology provides you. And that is basically the core of this book and is actually also a lot of work that I do for IBM and trying mm-hmm. to understand the, the variety of business models out in the world and seeing how they can scale with technology within well-defined regulatory environments. Okay, that was very succinct. Uh, love it. So I have a question, a follow-up question. So uh, a part of your, your book is obviously you say platform economies. So what are those? Well, you see, what we saw and we learned from the internet revolution that precedes uh, the mm-hmm. digital revolution is that uh, platforms uh, are, uh, have been the winner of uh, that economic shift. Uh, just consider LinkedIn uh, is the platform mm-hmm. for my business life and I invite uh, 
all of the people in your amazing audience to connect on LinkedIn and to continue the conversation. Facebook, you can also reach out to there is where right. I, I have, it's the platform of my personal life. Uh, um, Twitter um, used to be the platform of my Trump paranoia, now is that of my <laughs> mask paranoia, okay? It's a paranoia platform. Um, Amazon, where I sell the books. Right. Um, WeChat is the platform for platforms. Uh, but uh, the question is, what is the platform for my personal, my business, and my financial life? Now, the first, uh, the fourth, uh, the fourth industrial revolution is uh, a data revolution. That means is a platform revolution. So in order to succeed with digital technology, we need to understand how a business model typically is very linear. You have manufacturers, uh, you have people okay. assembling, and you have distributors. It's transformed uh, in a multi-sided marketplace uh, where everybody finds their own positioning and value. But having said that, uh, it's not enough because um, it's not that you go from one linear connection between buyers and sellers uh, to multiple connections. Mm -hmm. What changes is the economic model that goes around uh, that um, multi-sided interaction. So in this banks and fintech on platform economy, identify clearly the key drivers uh, that um, you need to consider when you think about those business models. And those key drivers uh, can be simplified into two concepts. Uh, okay. The first one is that uh, we are shifting from an output economy to an outcome economy. Okay. Output is selling cars. Uh, outcomes is uh, selling uh, um, car sharing experiences, right? The main difference is that the assets are there, but if you mm -hmm. don't like it, uh, you can now return the car after you bought it. Uh, but uh, when you do it in car sharing, if you don't like the experience on the app, you move to another app. Right. So it's a completely different uh, competitive landscape. And the same goes in banking. Uh, one thing is selling products with embedded fees. Another thing is helping clients uh, uh, fulfilling their personal, their business, and their financial goals. So it changes uh, the uh, type of the tender. And the second element uh, uh, that I want to mention is um, a misconception that uh, many have uh, about uh, technology and banking that doesn't allow a lot of investments uh, in startup, in fintech, mm -hmm. and also in digital banking to uh, be rewarded. Uh, mobile technology, for those that, that are uh, listening to this podcast, I'm holding my phone, <laughs> my iPhone. Uh, mobile technology is the technology of the demand. Yes. That means, uh, you typically don't go on Amazon to see what happens. You may want to buy Gucci bag or one of my books, but um, most of the revenues that matter mm -hmm. in financial services uh, are instead generated in an offer-driven business. So people are not typically uh, willing or capable to self-direct themselves, so they need to enter into a conversation. So now, how do you put an offer-driven industry onto demand-driven technology is the key question that many new banks uh, did not uh, uh, basically ask themselves, uh, and therefore they got trapped uh, in between. You can build a marketplace that distributes products right. and hope that clients would just come in and sell that themselves. So all of this is uh, the clear um, uh, content of, uh, of, of this latest work uh, that explains how the platforms uh, that are typically bought outside of financial services mm -hmm. uh, can also be brought into the financial services by understanding how financial services need to review these concepts so that you see which are the actions that you need to take with business transformation and technology innovation. Uh, okay, I see. So I find this, uh, this outcome-driven economy very kind of clever and interesting. So if I, if I have what you said just right, so an outcome-driven economy is based on, of course, this feeling and the experience that's kind of given through technology or a technological experience. So you're putting the experience first and then the sort of 
the thing second. Well, you see, it's how you perceive or identify value okay. that changes and therefore how you're willing to pay for value. Now, as we always talk about experience and I would rather talk about engagement, that to me goes even beyond the experience because uh, the experience can be a momentum, the engagement uh, needs to be long lasting. Mm -hmm. So that becomes okay. essential because uh, you are losing uh, those uh, stickiness uh, points in the relationship with the client uh, that um, uh, allows you, if you like, uh, not to be that great, uh, but mm -hmm. to be always in front of the client. So when the client uh, has the capability to move around, uh, you really need to excel in terms of engaging the clients uh, and you need to continuously engage the clients because uh, there will be a, a variety of competitors out there that want to grab uh, the client attention. Clearly, outside financial services is a different domain. Uh, some of these platforms bring it to the extreme when you think of social media for the good or for the bad. Financial services operate in a different form, but again, principles matter. So, if you don't go back and study and get the principles right, uh, we can build uh, good foundations uh, of our digital transformation journeys. And I'm trying to make an effort here to redefine uh, with clarity those mm -hmm. principles so that the foundations are made right. So what would be the those basic principles for, if you were talking to a banker, how would you begin this discussion? <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it is about, uh, in essence, the definition of value. That means understanding uh, how clients effectively consume financial services. And I'm not sure we've been telling each other the truth uh, around uh, or uh, what really is uh, the, the origin of uh, the banking revenues. But not doing so mm -hmm. does not allow us to understand um, why and how some fintech uh, experiences uh, could grow faster than others. Some are uh, unicorns and others cannot make it happen. I, I'll give it to you with this uh, example. Um, it is all about uh, the asymmetry of information. That means right. the complexity mm -hmm. of people uh, to understand uh, the value of financial intermediation. Um, that uh, defines uh, the fact that they are more uh, demand-driven in the consumption model or they need to get into a relationship which has a harder time to be fully replaced mm -hmm. with the technology so that becomes a more intense and complex usage of technology. If you look at a big bank, they may have uh, four business pillars uh, to simplify a bit, payment, credit, investing, uh, and uh, insurance. Now, I told them, uh, I mentioned them in order of complexity or mm -hmm. intensity of the symmetry of information. Payment is fairly symmetrical. That means um, you get the value, you put the phone on a reader, you buy the Gucci right. back, uh, you're happy. Now, there may be cases where even payments are a bit opaque in the way mm -hmm. you pay, like uh, maybe 80 basis points or more on Stripe, I would expect to be less. But the convenience for you, that can be either the price or uh, the mechanics through that uh, is what matters. So there's no surprise that payments are the first to become unicorns in fintech, so the paytech, because they could scale up with volume. Now, even building volumes may not be enough because in some jurisdictions, uh, the margins are very low, so you don't need right. enough. A volume is not enough. Hyper volume is not enough. You need to have Uber volume, right? So we know that that commoditizes very fast. But that's in a, a different story, but still you see, it is easier to digitize uh, payments uh, and to attract a large amount of uh, users uh, to consume mm -hmm. that mechanics. That does not mean that you are, uh, it is easy to monetize sufficiently for the cost of attracting uh, a large okay. user base. This is a different story, but, but still, you know, people understand the value they on board. Credit uh, is next, uh, 
it's a bit more complicated uh, because sometimes uh, you have to think about uh, you want to buy a house, uh, how many children do we want to have, three, four, five, six, so you right. have to figure out if the budget is enough. But typically, when you get a loan, uh, you are buying something, so it's okay. Now, I, I make an example and invite everyone in the audience to, to pay attention because it's good for their wealth. If they all go to my webpage, uh, com and click on the first image, I will give each and every one in the audience 1,000 euros, zero interest rates, zero commissions. They can give back the money to me whenever they want. I'm sure everybody is browsing my webpage now. <laughs> the problem is that uh, you as well we do that. And as we chatted before, I know that your credit rating is not that great. You know, so then I get to her. So, see. <laughs> so, so now, that is the reason why some of the neobank uh, and the fintech uh, thought of using credit to grow mm -hmm. faster by providing unsecured loans. And then they got trapped into a problem, which is the credit risk. Credit risk needs to be priced through the cycle. So no surprise uh, that without an alternative uh, to generate value out of the first engagement model, even Marcus of Goldman Sachs uh, mm -hmm. has to be put inside with yes. management because basically they might expect that through a recessionary cycle, the credit losses will be too high and they want the analysts to focus on that. So into well management, I open and close the bracket. We should discuss why it should be into well management mm -hmm. anyway in the future, but that will be maybe for another podcast. So then you see payment is still fairly demand driven, but poses a lot of issues in terms of the sanity of the business model. But then we go to investing. Investing uh, is like, um, again, I'm inviting the audience to go to my website, <laughs> thepcironi.com. And if you look at the second image there, you click on it and you will give me 1,000 of your euros, which I will invest into a model portfolio made of 50% European stocks, 20% tech stocks from the US, and 30% tech stocks from China, but not the Chinese firms in Guangdong because they pollute an MSG, you know that. Very good. So I'm sure you're receiving a lot of messages uh, on your like, channel and WhatsApp. Is it true that Paolo was a quantitative risk manager in his previous life? Is it true he wrote book on portfolio theory? Can I trust him when he makes investment with my money? <laughs> you see, there is a distance. <laughs> so that means you're not anymore into a pool mechanism because people don't necessarily trust even the Absolutely. digital app. And I had this discussion with a lot of robot advisors, also those in China where people believe that uh, generations are more inclined to be mm -hmm. directly digital. So that distance uh, makes, as a consequence, uh, the relationship cannot be immediately taken out uh, and, and digitized fully. There is more to be done so that they're successful. So no surprise that the robot advisor grew, but not as expected. Um, mm -hmm. And see what happened, for example, during the pandemic. Um, the Trading uh, the brokers online, uh, like Robinhood, uh, yep. grew very fast. But pay they attention, did. they leveraged something that I would not have suggested, the fear of missing out. Buy Bitcoins, it will be rich. Buy Bitcoins, yep. it will be rich. Buy Tesla, it will be rich. Or maybe shouldn't have bought it yesterday, but one year ago now, <laughs> <laughs> right? So if you look at their reports, 90% of the clients are losing money on the platform yep. instead of making money. Now, the robot advisors instead that do not leverage the fear of missing out, which you should not. So even though people got more accustomed to digital adaptation through the pandemic, uh, the volumes did not explode. So we have solutions for that, but uh, there is more that is to be done. And the last, uh, but not the least, then uh, is insurance. Now, the symptom information follows the complexity to understand uh, the banking product. And uh, the real product mm -hmm. that a bank sells anyway is uncertainty. Uncertainty when I pay, uncertainty when I get credit, uncertainty when I invest, and uncertainty about insurance. Now, 
I decided, uh, and I want to demonstrate that I can do that in front of mm -hmm. your audience, that I will sell to you a life insurance product. Okay. Now, I'm sure that you don't want to have a, a conversation where I have to tell you that you're going to die with ChatGPT. You prefer <laughs> to have a conversation with me, right? <laughs> It's very complex conversation. In this case, yes. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> so, so now you see that uh, in that case, the relationship is even more important now. Think about it. Insurance business is very varied. Uh, car insurance, for example, is very demand-driven in essence because it's compulsory. You, yep. you don't have to choose. You just need to have it, and basically they're all equal. Still, in places like the UK, I think that uh, no more than 60 to 70% of car insurance policies are sold online. So still a lot of people want to talk to a broker, right? So figure right. out when it is not composed, so it's not made demand-driven. So now that makes uh, digital transformation complex. And so when I discuss with the bankers, I, I try to reveal uh, the fact that it is not just about technology. Remember, you need to adjust your business model because if you just put your uh, model where you offer products through mm -hmm. a relationship on digital, hoping that the phone will offer it for you, and you, you hope that that works, I'm sorry, it's, it's not, not going, going to happen as expected. And effectively, we see that in the market. Ah, okay, no, thanks for that, uh, that very good explanation. So I have a question, because you, when you're talking about the investing pillar, you're like, there's a, there's a gap between obviously the institution and the client, right? How can that be brought together? Define the gap between institution and clients. You mean what they need, what they want, or a communication gap? The communication gap. Okay, so um, I remember I was once talking to um, a very high level uh, um, representative of a financial institution, so one of the prime boutiques in private mm -hmm. banking, and he told me that uh, his strength, uh, he says, was research. Okay. He says, we are the best research center in the world. So research is like, uh, the papers write about uh, the stock market in the stocks. And he said, my problem is that if I make 100 my clients, uh, mm -hmm. only 30% read the research and only 10% understand it. Uh, can I use AI so that this 30% read it, understand it? Mm -hmm. I said, okay, maybe so, let's say, but you're losing the remaining 70%. So now the point here is that uh, if you don't define value clearly, you cannot digitize value. So if you believe the research is your core value and no clients reads it, doesn't matter. Maybe that's not the real value, yep. right? So what we tell each other so needs to be substantiated. So there may be other reasons why clients have pretended that their research was <laughs> what they they looked for, but they had other advantages mm -hmm. in banking with uh, institutions in particular jurisdictions. Uh, but that is the first element. So the distance between banks and clients is that uh, their definition and perception of value is not necessarily aligned, uh, but still that's the way we do banking and mm -hmm. somehow it works, right? Now redefining what that value is, uh, which is in the relationship, uh, allows us to focus on what it matters to transform the technology, for example, to identify exactly how to plug in artificial intelligence in, gen in order to generate uh, more value. Otherwise, uh, you may apply the techniques uh, mm -hmm. where it's not appropriate and uh, it's not about technology if it doesn't work, it's because uh, the the, the assumptions um, that you made uh, about uh, the value that you are about to create uh, are um, uh, somehow faulted. So is this is where things like cognitive banking or contextual banking come in? To sort of you get insights from this data so you can actually provide the right also, service or product? Also, but, but it's, like, um, it's a bit more nuanced than that. Um, okay. So let me say I, the reason I also spend time in researching and writing mm -hmm. uh, books is because uh, 
the transformation of financial services today is um, really substantial, or it has to be substantial to make it happen. It's like uh, you you want to produce electricity not anymore with a carbon plant, uh, but with a nuclear plant. You have a different theory in physics. Yes. To be applied, I don't want to use the older theory, right? <laughs> For the nuclear plant, it would be very dangerous. So the same is with banking. So what I'm trying is to redefine the theoretical foundations in positive so that uh, they can become business models. Now, the reason is more nuanced. Uh, I can explain, uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the using data mm-hmm. for client centricity with a personal example, if I if you allow me to do so, which uh, uh, involves Jeff Bezos uh, <laughs> as well. And, and, and I know you're smiling, and we need to be very careful here because one of the mistakes they may make is that they see the experiences in e-commerce and they think they can transpose them in banking one-to-one. You should not. There are cases okay. and examples that I can provide, okay, that uh, that are appropriate, and, and this is one of those. Uh, um, remembering that, uh, as I said before, mobile is a technology of the demand, right? Yes. But most of the revenues that matter are not for the living business. Still, E-commerce uh, is very demand-driven instead, right? Because you know what you want to buy when you go on Amazon, it's said. But even there, Jeff Bezos had to resolve uh, some some problems. So what is this problem? When when I was uh, working in the 1990s, uh, I was working as head of quantitative risk management for financial institutions. And part-time, I was helping my brother in the evening to build the Amazon of Italy. I see you're, you're opening big eyes, right? Yes. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and of course, look, I had uh, the best product, the best product, uh, ever possible at Italian fashion. I know the crowd here listening to the podcast is getting excited now. Italian food, Italian furniture, and Italian travel. I thought, I'm going to put this on the internet. I'm going to sell a lot. I didn't sell a dime. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. You never heard about it? Okay? I declared failure. So, I made definitely made a mistake. But you I had made, the right idea, though. Well, it was a good idea. I guess thousands of other people had the same idea and thousands of other people, you know, failed at the same time. I guess my brother, I always uh, um, think about this with, uh, with affection. I mean, he was so dedicated, right? So I, I thank him for uh, embarking me in the journey, but we didn't succeed. And uh, notwithstanding the many mistakes I identified, uh, years later, I listened to an interview of Jeff Bezos that was very revealing to me. And uh, it was about... Uh, um, when Amazon was still uh, um, um, in the early stages, uh, mm-hmm. you are, you're fairly young, uh, if I can see looking at you. Yes, I remember. So um, the journalist asked Jeff Bezos, uh, what's Amazon? And Jeff said, uh, Amazon is not a distribution channel of books on the internet. And I was frowning. Now, my dear audience, ask yourself, is your digital bank, is your new bank, a distribution channel of financial products uh, on mobile? It's the same question. So as a journalist, you know, challenged me, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And he said, I explained it to you this way. The publishers uh, these days uh, mm-hmm. are sending me letters complaining, saying that um, I don't understand marketing. Now, I would not call Jeff Bezos stupid. <laughs> 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 so, and, and the reason is because he said that I allow the users uh, to publish uh, positive uh, and negative reviews uh, mm-hmm. about the books. Um, and they say, only publish the positive reviews so we can sell more. But because they're wrong, because uh, they are not my client, uh, the manufacturers. My mm-hmm. client is the users, everybody in the audience. Right. They come on the Amazon platform, which doesn't mean they're willing to transact because um, they may not trust it. They don't know what to do. So. 
positive and negative reviews. And I thank all of those that put the positive reviews on my book, okay? Which, <laughs> you know, can also be abused. We have the cases, so need to be regulated yes. as well. Are the transparency-driven mechanism, said, that allows people to trust because otherwise they cannot take the book. I'm holding mine in my hands and you know, smelling the glow. So they, <laughs> they cannot be decided. So, so then... Because as I build trust with this transparency mechanism where they hear from the crowd and the others what's good, what's not, um, I define my role as uh, providing advice to them on which is the best book to buy. And that already was to me really revealing because uh, in my banking invention quadrant, I talk about contextual and conscious banking and I also go in the direction of trusted advisory platforms. So we are discussing the essence uh, of uh, the value between a bank uh, and a client uh, that mm -hmm. should not be mismanaged, but is, is basically there. But then he concluded uh, saying something that to me was epochal. He said, well, then you see, only after I apply algorithms, today we might say AI, right. <laughs> machine learning, we'll whatever, get all the buzzwords today, out. exactly, in order to engage the client further and move the client around. So, so then in essence, my dear fintech entrepreneurs and bankers uh, listening to this podcast, uh, this is the story. Your next venture or your digital bank uh, cannot be conceived as uh, a distribution channel of financial products on uh, the internet. Uh, if you think that uh, client centricity is about putting the client uh, at the center of a target and hitting the client with uh, a bazooka operated by AI, misunderstanding the concept which is regulated between of uh, uh, self-execution mm -hmm. and consulting, um, you're missing the target. Data enabling clients, so allow clients to be capable to pull transparently from your service precedes uh, data-driven banking. So then all the other techniques uh, can make a lot more sense. If you don't do the things uh, in the right order, success will not be realized that you might not know why and then basically you get dissatisfied with this technology so this is to me very very important now for jeff bezos was very simple right because he worked already on a demand-driven business e-commerce on a demand-driven technology which is the internet or the mobile and still it was possibly the only one that got it that cracked the code for bankers it's way more complex that's why it takes more than positive and negative reviews to credit the code, you need at least to buy one of my books and read it. <laughs> okay, that's a great note to end on. So, Paul, thank you for coming by Paytech Talk, and I hope to continue this offline. Thank you. Bye. You've just been listening to Paytech Talk, the podcast about payments. Today's guest was Paolo Cerrone, Global Research Leader, Banking and Financial Markets at IBM. Paytech Talk is brought to you by Cognitio Media Amsterdam. Thanks for listening.